Hey, Balls of Magic. Welcome back to How to Be Queer podcast. It's so exciting. We're together again. Hi. Welcome. Hi, honey. Hi. How are you? Hi, Kimmy. How you doing? You got your cup of love sitting there with I you? I got my cup of love. I got my wifey. <laughs> Hi, that's Kim. Pronouns she, her. Welcome back to How to Be Queer. Oh, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Youth Scene. Go check them out at youthsen.org. Go over to the donate button, hit that donate button, throw them some cash because, you know, they're awesome and they sponsor us and we wouldn't be here without them. No, we would not. So thank you, Youth Scene. Yep. Thank you. How you doing, Alex? I'm fucking fantastic. Oh, F-bomb number one. F-bomb number one. You better get your tally mark. Get, better get your whiteboard and your marker out. So. <laughs> Spoiler. So um, it's been it's been a hot minute. It, it's been about two weeks. We did a one, two, three part series for everyone so that they knew uh, what was going on in our lives. I'm going to say two things really quick. Yeah. Number one, um, this podcast is not meant for children. This podcast is meant for adults or young adults that are um, trying to understand queerness in a world that demands heteronormativity. And um. We got some updates. We do. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so many updates. And I feel like I just, I'm going to say this right now that, you know, I always love the expression, like the truth is stranger than fiction. Oh, okay. Yes. And, and oh my God, does that ever apply to us? Uh-huh. So I'm going to also say you've got a little sign right next to you. We, we, we do this podcast from our home mm-hmm. and the sign that is sitting right next to you is be fearless in the pursuit of what sets your soul on fire. And so I'm going to start by asking you, Alex, what is setting your soul on fire right now? Burning shit down. <laughs> being, yeah. being as at, well, and in, in another quote that you, that you have in your office, um, activism is equal parts, anger and love. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely angry and I'm definitely just full of love yeah. and yeah, yeah, I'm ready to, keep this shit rolling. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I, I do have that sign up in my office, uh, because, you know, we, we mo- like most people, you know, I kind of split my time now between being in person in my office down in Denver. And then the other two days a week, I work upstairs in our house, super privileged to be able to have a space in my home that is, is beautiful for an office. And I put one of a sign up on the wall that does say that Mm -hmm. the best part active activism is basically equal parts, anger and love. Um, and I do feel that way. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes if I slip into one side more than the other, I'm like, "Mm, time to examine some shit. Why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. I also have a sign up in the office that says, I believe survivors. (sighs) Yeah. So we're going to talk about that today a little bit. Yeah. So before we kind of get into the meaty things, um, I wanted to take an opportunity. We, we y'all listened to our, our court podcast. Like it was a three part. It was a journey that you went on with us. A lot of you listened and a lot of you wrote us. Um, and for our local community, people that saw us in person that came up and said things to us, um, a shout out to a, a lot of my coworkers had listened and it had great things to say. Um, and we got a lot of comments from people across the the, the country, um, similar experiences and how they, um, it, which, which kind of messes me up a little bit in the head that like how, how unique our experience was and also how unbelievably common. Yeah. Yeah. We got an email from someone just saying that, you know, the, the, um, you know, that feeling of like loneliness mm-hmm. and that how will, will someone ever see this? And then that, that we, 
as we shared our own experiences, it, it, it resonated with them on like, you just detailed some stuff that was like, oh my gosh, this is, that was my life. This is my life too. Which is like you said, um, I think that's it for me, equal parts, anger and love Yeah, because I'm angry, um, that anybody would have to go through what we had to go through and the, the love of the commonality of like, you are not alone in this world yes, is absolutely. maybe that's what we end up calling this, this podcast, equal parts, mm-hmm. activism is equal parts, anger and love. But I wanted to give, or you were going to say something, but I also wanted to give people, uh, I know you have a couple updates on, um, just what's happened since since the trial has ended, I mean, where mm-hmm. we kind of left people is we, we were, we left it with a person sitting on a grassy knoll, kind of looking off into space. Like how did this even happen? Mm-hmm. And there have been a couple updates since, since we re- recorded this. So I do want to, do you want to go with the first one? Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, we, can I say real quick, we, yeah, yeah. we woke up the next, we do, we were talking about how we woke up the next morning and there was, there was peace and quiet. Oh no, let's talk about that. So one of the things that the court order said that, um, you know, we, we can only do one message, one talking parents message a week and just being so relieved at, um, and getting space of how much shit was being thrown at me all the time at, at at us. And so it's in the, in the piece of having that boundary of he can no longer relentlessly send me, send me messages. Yeah. And so it's a huge change. It is. And, and then, um, and then the one time I did send a message, he of course used every bit of that message to send back again, more verbal abuse of how, yeah. You know, I mean, Ill, 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 yeah. Anyway, can but, I make a joke about that though? Sure. Like, cause because, here's the thing. Cause you know, you, we love doing this podcast with like equal parts, heart and snark. Mm-hmm. And so here comes my snark because I'm a petty bitch. Like <laughs> let's just put it out there. I can be a real petty bitch. And so I'm going to take a moment to be a petty bitch when we when we, so yes, we did wake up the next morning and I'm like, Alex, like, we are not because at that up to that point when we got we had just a review for our listeners, the police had to get involved to be like, dude, stop. Yeah, you know the judge had to you, exact words, knock it off. Like I don't know how many which ways you can tell a person to shut the fuck up until they finally shut the fuck up. Well, apparently we found out. Yeah, it takes a judge saying to you, knock it off. Um, but yes, it, we did wake up the next morning and I'm like, oh my god, like I actually don't have to roll over. And look at you and say, hey, babe, how many messages came in? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, believe me, our morning talk is much different now. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was just, it, it's its like the angels sing. But yeah, he did totally take that opportunity in his one message a week. And I, of course, being the petty snarky bitch that I am, I'm like, oh boy, I hope you shot for the stars in that <laughs> one message you get this week. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it, it illuminates that they abusers will never stop abusing. Mm-hmm. They will just, um, and you know that, and I forgot what I was going to say about it. Um, they will take every opportunity to get to you this. Yes. And this is what I was going to say that why that I hope on some level, as we talk about all this, uh, that judges and systems and everything, there's a reason why no contact is so important mm-hmm. and that amount of peace and air and oxygen, like, because you can't stop 
you can't stop it. You just find ways to manage it. And that no contact piece, like systems and lawyers and judges, and, and they have to start seeing and leaning, I think, leaning on that more to actually protect the victims. Which I think is a bulk of like what we're going to um, get into today, because some of the updates that we have are interesting. And I did want to, I had kind of like a realization and I'm sorry, Alex, I didn't put this in our notes. So I'm kind of going off, off notes here for a minute. But one of the things that I've had to learn going, you know, because the, the abuse that you are experiencing is horrific. It is consistent. It is persistent. Um, and it feels and it and it's not. It's like you're saying we we have we have learned to live with the fact of nothing is actually going to stop the abuse. Yeah. There are systems in place that can minimize it, mm-hmm. which is what we found through the court system. Um, but nothing is probably ever going to stop it. This is a, you are dealing with a person who is determined, even if it's only one message a week that they get, they're going to use it to their fullest extent to abuse. Yeah. And how fucking pathetic is that? Oh, like it is pathetic. Like that your, your entire existence is wrapped around, um, attaching yourself to someone else to keep yourself alive and like, just go fucking live your own life. But that they don't, they can't even wrap their heads around that. So I, I also wanted to, to say, you know, there's a couple ways in which there's loopholes and, and they find a way to keep abusing, which we'll talk about in a minute. One of the things I didn't talk about um, on the, and this is where I'm like, I'm going off notes for you, but okay. what I, and you and I talked with it about with, with Andrea, who um, we're hoping is going to have the opportunity to join us more and more on our podcast. Um, but one of the things we had talked about on Friday night is I am not accustomed to um, a person who is like really hell bound on getting into your head. Yeah. And over the course of um, the the trial, like the period of the trial and leading up to the trial, I had I had cut about seventeen inches of hair off my head. I look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And the commentary that I was getting from him about what I looked like which is creepy in itself. Yeah. Right. I'm definitely the type of person where I'm like, I don't like to talk about the way that people look. I do not like it when people talk about the way that I look. Um, the only thing I really care about is that people can choose to express themselves in a physical way, in whichever way they want. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had started commenting to me a lot about the way that I looked. Um, my hair, what did my hair say about me? How many people had Alex been with that had the same haircut as me? Am I enmeshed with all of these other people? And the level of creepiness that again, like when you talk about someone who is determined to abuse the ways in which they will, will, it's like a vine that Mm -hmm. spreads like a poisonous vine that just tries to seep and spread over everything in your life, even down to the way you physically look in this world. And then I also want to name the utter fucking misogyny that some motherfucker thinks that they can comment. Oh, F bomb that, and that somebody thinks that they can comment on my physical body. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's anger. Mm -hmm. And then that taps into a whole slew of other shit where like, I am a 46 year old woman. I'm done with people fucking commenting on the way that I look. Mm -hmm. I'm done. Like most women out there, I have dealt with this shit my entire life. Mm-hmm. Keep your thoughts on how I look to yourself. Yep. I don't want to hear it. Yep. <laughs> don't fuck with me today. Mm-hmm. Okay. But one of the updates in other ways too, um, this one, <laughs> can I describe the setup and then I'm going to have you tell people what it was? 
Yeah. So you do have to still exchange the kids. <laughs> We're down to four four nights a month. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful. It's luxurious. It's like it's still oh. it's still four too many, but you know. But we're but but that's where we're at anyway. And you have a new meeting exchange spot mm-hmm. in in where you exchange the kids. It's no longer at the police station where he continued <laughs> to abuse all of us. We're now at a very very public place with lots of cameras. Yes, yes. He's there. There was concerns about cameras. Well, grocery stores have shit tons of cameras. And again, the concerns were his. Yeah. Right. They, that. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just going, I'm going into the details of like that, that how, um, the abuser will, he, he would flip it that I was the threat. Well, Alex has tried to break into my car multiple times, <laughs> dude. The last fucking thing I want is to get anywhere near your life. So, you know, just chill yourself for clarity's sake. You did touch his car once to and- help our child get out of his car. Right. Yeah. And then you actually got to testify at this at trial because he almost ran over. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay, that was a priceless moment in the trial where um, I believe he was trying to get you on something. Yeah. And, and you know, as folks know, when given the opportunity to get a, a why question, you took every opportunity to go in there and samurai him. Oh, I did. I said, you know, I'm like, in, in that particular one, it was, you know, our kid was was upset about breaking a, a, her braces and and I'm like and she was crying and upset and you know you just drove away with them screaming in the car and like, almost ran over your almost foot. in r- r- like ran over my shoe and but that is but but essentially he's requested a place that we do exchanges with lots of cameras because he's worried that you will try to obtain access to his car. Well, and that's part of the paranoia that goes with that level of mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, this would be, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know which way to say it here because you know, the, the level of creepiness and commenting on my daughter's body, on my body, on being a general piece of shit. When he came to our house, we mm-hmm. basically had to, he was terrifying the children. Mm-hmm. So we had to remove him from being able to be at our house to a police station to now where he is flipping the script and saying that Alex is the danger. I mean, I wish, what is it that my flag that I throw my creepy flag? Like anyway, but to set it up for folks, like, so we're at a very, very public place where you do these exchanges and we're with (laughs) the kids and we're in the car and we're driving to this very, very public place. And I'm like, what? Cause I see him and I'm like, (laughs) okay. And there he is. And Alex He's waving something rather large in his hands. Can you just explain to everybody, like, because a reminder, he's not actually allowed to take his phone out to record us anymore, which that's a fucking bliss, not being recorded when you're in public anymore. Mm -hmm. The the judge actually told him to knock it off. Yeah. So it's not his phone that he's waving around, but what's he doing when we come to the drop off? Well, at first I thought it was a piece of cardboard. I'm like, maybe it's it's a sign that says will work for food. I don't know. It's like, remember the peanuts thing with Lucy with like the stand where it's like free therapy advice, like five cents, five cents. like it's not a therapy sign. No, no, but it's a whiteboard. <laughs> it's a whiteboard and he carries a black marker. Now it's like <laughs> the, this man, like, I this know man, that this is true. And even when you say it, I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding I, me. And like, I just want to like, uh, fo- this man's a teacher. Yeah. Okay. So he's a teacher. He's in. Children are in his care. 
As a domestic abuser, children are in his care. I'm just going to like fucking lay that out as clear as day. But also gives him access to multiple school supplies. Also (laughs) gives him access to multiple school supplies. So he brings a whiteboard and literally so he can write down when Alex tries to cause a problem. Hey, folks, I just need you to imagine being a grown ass adult and walking around with a whiteboard and a marker (laughs) to capture getting someone because the judge has already banned you from being able to use your phone. Yeah, that's that's what we're dealing with. Well, and when we arrived, he started to flip it. Yeah, like like a signal, like really, really fast. And we're like, well, is he just trying to like, like signal the camera? Like, hey, everybody look over here because my, my. (laughs) I mean, we're walking around with a giant whiteboard. Like I I, I can't, I, 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 and what is like, I'm like waiting for him to come up with like a little system where it's like a hook around his neck (laughs) and he can just carry it and be like, Alex, look at me, write it down quick, write it down quick. And I'm like, what happens when your elbow bumps it? And you like accidentally erase the whole thing that you just captured. Like, it's like, I, I, I this is what we're dealing with. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're walking around, carrying around a whiteboard, which again, I'm just going to name is an opportunity to continuously abuse you. Yep. And so you've been given, you, all of your things are taken away. You get one message a week and you decide to opt for a whiteboard. Uh-huh. Okay. And that was an interesting one. Like, I don't, uh, yeah, anyway. So there's also some stuff that I do want to just state because we don't actually talk about the kids too much on this, um, but they are actually doing okay. They are. They are. um, They are doing really well. They, um, he uh, put a stop to them seeing their therapists, which was really. You want to tell people about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I got an email the day before they were supposed to have one of their 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 sessions and basically saying that he had you know the the threatening and harassing emails that he was he was writing to them to the therapist to the therapist they had to stop services and i was like of course of course he did and so um we're now at the I'll, i'll just fast forward i guess so one of the therapists who sees um the old, our older, our older, yeah, yeah, Ari, who who now I have, you know, sole decision making for. Um, she's like, yeah, I'm no contact with him. I'm like, good for fucking you. Yeah, good for you. Well, and I think what I've learned about about him is that the misogyny, the, like, there's a whole slew of things going on. I mean, we are again talking about a person walking around with a a, a whiteboard to take down all of the notes in life. Um. But one of the things that's really clear to me is the level of misogyny mm-hmm. that we're dealing with. And so the, it is, it is, and, and truthfully, before any of this happened, there were signs of severe impacts of, of believing male and superiority, the way that I would see um, him interact with people who identified as female. Yeah the, um, yeah, the entitlement, the entitlement, the aggressive behavior, the talking down, the threatening, the you will, and and what's really fucking scary sometimes with people that that are displaying misogyny is that they're really unaware yeah. that they are because it's just normal, mm-hmm. and so that was you know if you are a child psychologist and you are helping a child and you have to go non contact with a with a parent because that parent is threatening you. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all kind of rolling up to one of the things that we wanted to, to talk about today. And again, going to file it under 
sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Because there's no way we could have written any of this. There's yeah. no, there's no way. Nope. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, because I think, we'll, you know, again, our, the purpose of our podcast and, and is, is around when you are a person who is queer and you are forced to live in this heteronormative culture, one of the things that we experienced um, throughout the trial, and it's one of the things that um, I do want us to go a little bit deeper in is, you know, you, Alex, were there were the most important aspects of your life were going to get decided by two other, by essentially two other people. Um, one being the judge. Yeah. And then the other being um, our CFI child family investigator. And yeah. we, we actually did not talk too in depth about it in the first three podcast episodes about it, because in the totality of like everything that was going on, we, we had said to people like this whole process with the CFI could be its own episode. Oh yeah. And so to kind of set this up for people a little bit, the judge and the CFI are both white male, as far as we know, cisgendered, um, cisgender, sorry, straight, mm -hmm. like very much in the world of power and privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and both had displayed to us numerous times that there was not an understanding of anything that fell out of a world where people live in heteronormativity. Yeah. And so remember when the trial started, what did the judge say? Do you remember? Well, it was about my pronouns and uh, commenting that he'd missed, he'd missed like some form of an LGBTQ training in which he'd gone mm -hmm. and that he was going to have to go back and, and I'm like, well, thanks for the acknowledgement, but fuck. <laughs> it was a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we don't know, you know, as we know, especially with people who are um, a part of our transgender community, there's a lot of bias and fear and misinformation. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it, our, our friend Kim Dillon was on saying a lot of people even still to this day believe, you know, that, that there is a because we know that there's a higher correlation um, amongst people who um, are suffering with mental illness and, and um, suicide, uh, either ideation or, um, uh, you know, ending their, their life. And people have been conditioned to think that there's something about being transgender yeah. that triggers that. And Kim Dillon came on and like really broke down for us beautifully. If you haven't listened to that podcast, please go back and do it. But she later, she was like, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with people who are transgender, what's wrong is that the world treats them a certain way. And that's why we see an mm -hmm. uptick in, in um, mental health crises. Yeah. So when you're about to sit down and have your life decided by a judge who's like, yeah, I should have gone to the training about this. Yeah. It was a moment where I'm like, oh my God, this person is not going to understand the nuances of like the abuse that you were having to deal with. Yeah. There was really no, no focus or, or um, acknowledgement of queerness of, you know, um, abuse. And it was, it was timing. Mm -hmm. It was about timing, which they understood timing. You're going to have to explain that to people a little bit, what you're talking about. So, oh, okay. Um, so, you know, our daughter is, is 11 and she's, she's reaching, going to reach the stage for, for, for puberty soon. And so as a trans kid, like there's, there's a window of, you know, options as a parent, you've got puberty blocker options and hormone therapy and all sorts of things to basically assist and support them going into the puberty, puberty that they want, or they feel that is you know, true to who they are. And so, and I remember trying to, 
you know, talking to a lawyer years ago about trying to get this, this going. And, and it just came back to timing of like, well, she's not close to puberty yet. So we don't have to do anything. We don't have to do anything. And now it's like, oh, so that it's good that the judge understood like, Hey, I also have an 11 year old Mm -hmm. and, and I understand this and there's, you know, and, and because of the way the court system works and how kind of really how slow things are, Right. I understand that you don't have another year to go through. No, we did not anything again. So I'm like, yay, we got what we wanted, but it wasn't because anyone acknowledged abuse or queerness. It was about, again, about the timing. Mm -hmm. And so it's still just like, there's so that's, this is why the, you know, training around, around identities should not be optional. If you're a, you know, an organization or a business, or, you know, if you're, if you're in, in the realm of like supporting people or judge teacher, like so many lawyers, like everyone needs this. Yeah. I mean, we, we were, we were very, as much as our, the judge in our case had said, you know, Hey, I, I skipped the training on any of the, all of this. So I'm going to do the best that I can. And you're like, right. And you're going to make some of the biggest decisions impacting not just my life, but my child's life. I'm so glad you skipped that training, sir. Ultimately, he did. He was able to make, I think, the best decision. Absolutely. So we got lucky. Yeah. I don't know if other families are going to get that lucky. And that's so it's not necessarily like a direct critique of the judge that we had, because ultimately I felt like he did see through a lot of what was happening and made decisions that were in your favor. Yeah. But it was really terrifying. Yeah. If that was going to happen or not. And you kind of sit there and you're like, well, I wish you would have gone to the training too, Mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm sitting here and you're sitting here and it's the work. When we talk about like the work that we put on people in in communities that we're constantly having to educate people that it's not your lived experience. And I'm like, dude, just pick up a fucking book, go Mm -hmm. to the training, do what you need to do to understand like how impactful this is to another person's existence that falls out of the normativity you live in, that you have the privilege to live in. Yeah. Well, this does this kind of aligns to um, into when the person about being scared of the word queer. Oh yeah. That's in our notes. We're going to get there later. Let's get there later. So in in other, I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, the C the CFI that we had, and we are actually in a position now where we can name them. Yes. Um, So again, that sometimes the truth is stranger, stranger than fiction. I think people know I work for um, a media organization. I work for PBS's. uh, I work for Rocky mountain public media. And because of that, I have a lot of um, knowledge and ties to other media organizations, one of them being um, an organization called ProPublica. If you're not familiar with ProPublica, this is a place where I, I usually, when people are like, oh, well, what media outlets do you trust? ProPublica is one of them. Um, they are um, a legit like data journalist. Um, we've had journalists at Rocky Mountain Public Media work with them. They're no joke. And I come into work on Friday I'm one of my, you know how everybody has like their work wife. Yeah. Yeah. Work, work wife, work, whatever, however you want to do it. My work wife is the chief content officer. I adore, adore this person. And it, you know, because they're my work wife, I share aspects of my life with them. And so I have shared with them, um, especially while we were in the waiting period um, to get the CFI report, which was six weeks late mm-hmm. and how stressful that was for you. And I, I had been sharing a little bit um, with her about this. I'd shared 
um, who the person was, all this stuff. And so she texts me and was like, you are never going to believe what ProPublica Pro did a story about right now. And folks, I wish I was making this up, but it is actually about our child and fa- child family investigator from our trial. And so Alex, what was the title of that article? Do you have it handy by any chance? Sure do. I, a custody evaluator who disbelieves 90% of abuse allegations recommended a teen stay under her abusive father's control and names Dr. Mark Kilmer. Who was our? Who was our CFI. Um, and also, yes, folks, that is Val Kilmer's brother. And another. <laughs> so just on a funny side note, when Dr. Kilmer came to our house for the um, to investigate us, um, our oldest child, who was 16 at the time, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. was wearing. And so we didn't share with the kids like no. we just said, it's doc- Dr. Kilmer's coming. He's coming yeah. to look at the house, all this stuff. Right. We knew that he was. In fact, Val Kilmer's brother. Yeah. Okay. We knew that you yeah. and I knew, but we were like, what? I, just one of those things. I'm like, I don't know if my kids would know who Val Kilmer was. Any yeah, of this. We didn't even tell them. Didn't yeah. even tell them. But at some point, our oldest kid is wearing, and he has no idea he's wearing a freaking Top Gun t-shirt <laughs> during the investigation. And so oldest kiddo, he, a lot of times, and you guys have heard him on here, usually coming in, asking for money to go someplace, <laughs> but he's in the kitchen, like literally helping us make dinner, wearing a Top Gun t-shirt. And Dr. Kimmler's like, oh, you like that movie Top Gun? <laughs> and kiddo's like, yeah, it's like a pretty cool movie. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> totally oblivious. <laughs> totally oblivious that it's, you know, Iceman's brother sitting at our kitchen table, taking notes on his laptop about everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, but to get back to the article, yes, it is Val Kimmer's brother, but 90%. Read that title for people again, on honey. A, cu- a custody evaluator who disbelieves 90% of abuse allegations recommended a teen stay under her, follow- uh, under her abusive father's control. In... In the sub subtitle in Colorado family courts, parents can request an expert evaluation of their case, which sometimes includes allegations of abuse. Mark Kilmer is routinely appointed to evaluate families despite his own history of domestic violence. I mean, that warms your soul, doesn't it? It really warms your soul. So to go on is so folks, if you would like to read this article, it is on, um, it's ProPublica.org. Yeah. Um, Alice, what is the name of the writer again? Hannah Dreyfus. So you can Google and, and read it. It is an extensive um, research that she she and others had done to understand like what was ha- what's happening with the CFI. It goes into the cost that you occur with a CFI. Um, and some of the quotes from Dr. Kilmer himself, one of the ones that really stood out to me is that since the Me Too movement, he tends not to believe people that have allegations of abuse. And Mm so when I equal parts, love and anger, we're going to go to the anger side for a minute. If you can, I, 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 it is so hard for me to wrap my mind around that statement because of the level of anger that I feel when I, I I'm sorry. I'm like almost at a loss for words. Do you have the quote that he has in front of you? Yeah. Okay. The, the hashtag me too movement informs us that, you know, about 90% of all allegations are true 
or something around there, he said. In my forensic work, that's completely flipped on its head. About 90% of the allegations I hear are false. Kilmer emphasized that estimates are based on his own experience, not scientific research. So what he's basically saying is, I, I think it's more like only 10% of allegations of abuse are true. And since Me Too, it's just that's what he believes. Yeah. And, and another quote, he, he does not believe, quote, a great majority of the abuse allegations he encounters at work. So what's one of the things that you tell on a victim of abuse? I believe you. We believe survivors. We believe survivors. One of his other comments that is particularly troubling, too, is that he couldn't understand why a person. Can you explain that? What he said to you? Um. Well, what he said in here was about if, it, if, if the abuse was that bad, why did you stay that part? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I'm sorry. I, it's, it's anger. It's anger. I'm it's so, anger, not just for ourselves, but I'm like, but this person has been assigned to thousands of cases in the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. He actually goes into this article bragging about how much money he's making off of families that are literally in one of the darkest moments of their life. Yeah. These are a lot of times a parent that is fighting for their child. They're fighting to stop abuse. They're having to use a slow and archaic system to be able to do it that rec- that you have to have a lot of privileged power and access to be able to even get into. Yeah. He is bragging about the amount of money that he's making. He is openly saying, I tend not to believe people that claim abuse. And now these these data journalists, investigative journalists have basically been like, dude, you can't miss all of this level of abuse and brag about how much money you're making in the meantime. Mm -hmm. Like this is the epitome of misogyny, privilege, entitlement, and it is just wrong. Yeah. It is wrong what he is doing. Well, in in this, you know, this statement in itself that when he says, um, so he 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 has the option in in the process of being appointed as the as a PRE, which is a parent responsibility evaluator or something like that, or or a CFI, he, he can recuse himself with you know from a case. But he said he's he's never recused himself in thirty years working on over six hundred court ordered reports. This is the part that that really disturbs me. Once the court appo- appoints me, that's it. There's no bailing out. And I'm like, right, because you now are like capitalizing, as you're saying, on family's pain and and missing and according to this journalist like we felt and so i guess the question is did you feel and this is where we can share a little bit more about that process did you feel that he missed the abuse that you and ari were living through oh absolutely and i just kept being told and and kept hearing like let the cfi read between the lines he mm-hmm. will he will pick it up and 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 name it no one fucking named it. No, he did not. And so when when we go into the CFI report, what was so frustrating about it is that he would write in there, you know, father is frequently and chronically angry. Mother should not come into contact with father. Mm-hmm. This is looks like it's an underlying mental health issue with the father. Um, father should not remove himself from therapy until therapist removes him. So there's all of these statements that are like, 
okay, something's clearly wrong. He never names it as abuse. And in the end, the CFI said, mother should work with father. And you're like, so you're reading it and you're like, so wait a minute. If all of he's saying all of these things, Alex, you shouldn't come into contact with the with father. Father is frequently and chronically angry. Mental health conditions shouldn't be released from therapy. But could you continue working with him? <laughs> so you have to beg to ask the question, like, and we folks, we got lucky because the judge saw it. Mm-hmm. The judge read between the lines and was like, How is mother supposed to work with this person if the CFI is saying? don't come into contact with him. Yeah. He's that angry. Don't come into contact. There's an underlying issue here. Yeah. We got lucky with our judge. Mm-hmm. We should not have had to, that, like that's wrong that the CFI did that. And then you read this article and you find out, oh, we're just one of God knows how many cases that this has happened with now. Yeah. And I- so at what we're just going to, so you and I were like, looked at each other and you got in contact with Hannah, uh, yeah, with the with the author and yeah. and said, um, so we're one of those families. Yep. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to um do what needs to be done. Me too. And again, I'm just going to acknowledge we had a couple things working in our favor, even though we were walking into the situation where it was scary as hell being a queer family. Um, you know what biases were going to be against you what you know because we named a couple of them that we went through in the process like you you really are like you're in a situation where i'm like no one is going to understand like how what life is like what biases that we might be coming up to how dangerous this feels mm-hmm. but what we did have is we had access to money yeah. and we had access to a lawyer we had access to things that we knew that we could use that were going to help us what happens if you're a family that doesn't have that and you're left at the whim of a guy that 90% of cases or 90% of the time he's missing allegations of abuse. Yeah. The girl in this article says Mark Kilmer's decision affects every day of my teenage life. If She's people, just waiting to turn 18. But people should, if you, if you don't have time to go and read the article, because it is, it is long and very thorough. Yeah. But this, the case that they're talking about specifically in this article is the father had dragged his daughter up a flight of stairs to the point that the necklace that she was wearing had dug into her neck that it lo- it was like ligature marks across her neck. Mm-hmm. There was a police f- report filed for abuse against the father. And Dr. Kilmer said, no, 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 no. They should go into joint therapy together. Yeah. Parent re- reunification therapy is what he ordered. Instead of saying, no, dad, you don't get to drag your child to the point up a flight of stairs that it cuts her neck open, that she had to go to the emergency room, that there's a police report filed, and he wouldn't name this guy as as abusive. That's who we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I think it's pretty clear, like, you know, Kilmer's going to have sympathy for an abuser. Which is a serious problem. Which is a serious problem, which I'm going to go one more step into this. I thought we were going to move on, but this is the thing I want to name. You and I had to to jointly do a number of interviews with him. These interviews would last sometimes two and a half hours. The last one we did with him was after he had spoken to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And he kept us on for an hour and a half. And he kept saying one thing over and over and over again. Do you want to share with everyone what it was? Um. The, the the phrase was good enough. Yeah. And well, isn't, isn't dad just good enough? And he's, and I, and I, 
it took every ounce of, it was like in those moments where all the healing and all the work that you've done in yourself that like shows up for you that you don't fucking completely lose it. And, um, but, um, I mean, inside I was like, no, he, there is no good there, there, there's no, there's this person's abusive psychologically, verbally, emotionally, um, and, and, but he kept trying to convince me that this person that I was trying to co-parent with, which was really impossible because co-parent would um, lean itself to, uh, you know, uh, working together, respect for each other. And it was so, it was one of the most disorienting hour and a half of my, of my life. Life since I, you know, before I left, I, I'm going to name it, Alex. It was gaslighting, and it was it was it was torture for an hour and a half of yeah. hearing over and over and over again. I understand that you may have concerns about, you know, abuse, and um, you're really worried about the kids, but you know, he's good enough, he's, right? He's good enough. The other, so I, I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to hear the words "good and good, good enough" again in my life. But mm-hmm. the other thing that he would really focus on us. And we were really transparent about this in the other podcasts. This is a, a, a parent who had, when he didn't get what he wanted, he chose to abandon his children for months. Mm-hmm. And that was part of what I think had concerned both of us is, you know, kids need consistency. Mm-hmm. They need consistency of schedule. They need consistent time with, with parents. If both parents are able um, we know most kids thrive under having, you know, a schedule that's predictable. And what I, I still can't believe this, but after the severe abandonment of these kids, financially, emotionally, physically, everything yeah. just up and disappeared because he didn't get what he wanted. Okay. Mm-hmm. The response that we got from Dr. Kilmer was, oh, right. He feels really bad about that. He said it was a big mistake. So we're just going to move on. That mm-hmm. was what he said to us mm-hmm. in that hour and a half interview. We're mm-hmm. just going to move on because he feels bad. Mm-hmm. So that's what this article is talking about. When you miss things like that and you're siding yeah. with the abuser because you just don't want to see it because frankly, he has been, Dr. Kilmer has been charged with domestic violence in his own life. Yep. That's what we were dealing with. And yeah. now it's out there. And I, yeah, it's out there. And I, and I, remember thinking, being terrified, be like, right. My CFI is an abuser. Um, my ex-husband's an abuser. Um, gee, hope this works out. So I'm just, can I, before we just like close on this, because yeah. I'm going to say if you, cause we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast. We never said Dr. Kilmer in the first three episodes, because I guess in some way we're still even living under the powers of misogyny and and whatnot. And we were afraid to name him. Yeah. I was scared to name him. We were afraid to say his name. And so we're like, well, does it, it, you know, this is like where you assess that risk. Is it worth us saying his name? Probably not. And now I'm like, well, shit, we have to name him because how many families has he impacted? And Mm -hmm. so I don't know, folks, if you, if you know, if you're in Colorado, if you, if you have had experience, please get in touch with this author, go read that article. Um, again, it's ProPublica, Alex, name of the author again, Hannah Dreyfus. And then it is the article about Dr. Kilmer. So, mm-hmm. okay. I'm going to take a breath. 
You can take a breath. Take a breath. Take a breath. Okay. Did you take a full breath? Half a breath? In through, through the, the nose. Diaphr- into the nose, out of the mouth, full diaphragm, belly raising, belly lowering. Is there anybody out there that gets like angry when like you're upset about something and someone's like, just breathe, work on your breath work? Like what goes through your head? Fuck breathing. <laughs> That's what goes through mine. I Don't think, tell me to breathe. I know. I think also um, it's at, raised as a uh, f- person assigned female at birth, how um, much of the, the, um, sorry, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to get You're there. Breathing. I'm breathing much of the message is Don't, don't be angry. Mm-hmm. Why are you angry? And it took me 40 fucking years to finally say I'm fucking angry. You are angry. And in being okay with that, And now being proud of my anger because my anger now makes me fight for myself, makes me fight for my, um, my family, my, it just, it changes. It's a gift. It changes everything when you can, it's acknowledging it's an, it's acknowledgement of a lot of different things. I shouldn't say it's not all about me, of course, but it's like, you know, when you can acknowledge, how these things, cause I didn't see how all this wove together for a very, very long time. So I'm well, I, I think when it comes to anger, right. And if that's the kind of like the theme that we're going with here today, like my life is equal parts love and anger. Cause it, it's very, it's very true. Um, I'm angry too. Yeah. I'm really angry at what we've had to live through for years yeah. saying, this is abuse. This is abuse. This is abuse. Hey, it's not going to show up as a black and blue mark on any of our bodies, but that doesn't make it any less abusive. Mm -hmm. And our system is set up not to believe us. Yeah. The system is set up that we have to prove it. Yeah. And the system is set up to fall into belief with people like your Mm ex-husband, not the queer trans family. That's what was going on. Mm -hmm. We had to constantly show up in spaces where we couldn't show any emotion. We couldn't show any anger. We couldn't show anything that was going to confirm someone else's bias of whether it's this asshole, Dr. Kilmer, that, oh, all of these women from Me Too are actually lying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one person that was at the Mariposa Center that was like, I need to ask you about naked parties. Like all of these fucking things that were set up where it felt like it was, we were just set up not to be believed. And you have to get, keep getting up every single morning and taking daily abuse from this fucker. Mm-hmm. And no one, because it doesn't show up as a black and blue mark is going to yeah. believe you. Yeah. And one of the things I learned, and this is a, um, a very um, hard thing to accept and wrap my head around because no, I don't think as a parent, you, you want to necessarily teach your kids uh, what abuse is and and how it shows up. But at the same time, like you're, you're ultimately teaching them how they deserve to be treated, you know, friendships, relationships, and that, that I had to start that I teach my kids. I talk to my kids about abuse Yeah, and I talk, I'm very specific. And I even say, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. There are different kinds of abuse you know, and they and they and they said, "Well, I thought it's just when someone hits you." I'm like, "It it's when someone hits you, and it's also a lot more than just that." 
Yes, it is. It's it's, and I start naming things and, um, talk about the empowerment of being able to how this is going to affect their life in a, in a positive way. And, and it's so strange because all of the, you know, when I was going through a lot of this, it was like, well, just, you know, you don't want to disparage other parent. And I'm like, but this is how every, this is how the survivors stay quiet. You don't, you, you don't say anything bad about this person who was clearly abusive and you're naming behaviors and you're naming it. And it's like, um, staying angry, staying full of love is, is naming this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, um, contribute to it by not talking to my kids about what they've gone through. Well, and, and I guess let's go down this rabbit hole a little bit, because what happens if you didn't name it? The, yeah. Like, like it, it, it perpetuates the confusion and the mm-hmm. fog that they are already in with their father. Right. And I'm like, I'm not going to contribute to that. And I don't fucking care what you think. Like, I will not allow them to live that life and to stay blind and to, and to stay confused and to stay feeling like they are less than. I, I think what, I've, what I'm taking a lot too from, from this is that there is a way to actually name what's happening as well as not disparaging the other parent. Exactly. Which is what, I, what, I, what I've heard you do with the kids. And I also just want to name, like after going through this process, the system is set up to actually hold the status quo of the abuser. Mm-hmm. That that is the way that the system is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, the other poster on our wall upstairs in my office is the system isn't broken; it was built this way. Yeah, and this has been a very very vulnerable and hard lesson, and then also makes you realize too where you may have your own privilege even within a system that is completely broken and working against you. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it goes a little bit to um, some of the people that have been writing us that I know are you feel stuck. You mm-hmm. feel stuck where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not kidding when I tell our listeners and I'm like, you will always have a place with Alex and I, we will do anything we can to be able to help and support you through this because you have to get through it. Mm-hmm. You, we have to find ways. Mm-hmm. And if it means that, you know, we got to go after people like Dr. Mark Kilmer, who is, 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 bragging about the amount of money that he's making while ignoring 90% of abuse that's been reported in cases, we have to be willing to stand up against people like that. And it's scary. And you and I were even scared. That's why we didn't name him in the first three parts of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what's going to happen from here. I do know that I am committed to um, talking about it on here and, Mm -hmm. and, and supporting people that are going through it. And man, I wish we could change the system. And right now it feels really, really broken. We should not have had to go through what we went through. Yeah. I mean, I even want to name my ex-husband if, if, but I won't, but I, I, I know that the people who know me know his name. Mm -hmm. Um, I am just going to continue to name that, that he's a teacher. He's someone who works with children and that he got the, um, he got decision-making rights for his own child taken away yeah. and he is working with children and what the fuck. And that, I guess it, it's, it's, it hurts to on a personal level and the people that know me 
um, or used to know me or think they knew me um, that the people I have around me now, of course, are very acknowledging, but like, um, like I want to, I'm, you know, I talk about, I talked about my coming out. I talked about, and then, you know, speaking about this and I guess I'm just angry. I'm just angry. Yeah. I'm like at, at that point where I'm like kind of a loss for words that like, that, people don't like to hear things that are uncomfortable. And I'm like, I'm just so fucking tired of, of, of living in a way that makes others comfortable. Yeah. And, um, that, you know, that friends, people I thought were friends, um, people that, you know, that one woman who was a school psychologist who I thought she would understand like that, like the nuances of, of abuse and, 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 how she defended him too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, people really don't understand and aren't even willing or aren't able to like really step into this because of where they're at. And then you just have to keep moving on. And, you know, I think from for the, the point that you made, and, and this is going to help segue us into the sort of the last part that we wanted to do on our podcast today is how much people are, are, are asking sometimes those who are truth speakers to not speak the truth because it's going to make somebody uncomfortable somewhere Mm -hmm. and how much we try to hold up that level of comfort for people who really don't need it because they're living with a lot of privilege and entitlement, Mm -hmm. but boy, we don't want to make them uncomfortable. Yeah, That would be bad. We don't (laughs) want to make them uncomfortable. Folks, you see this all the time right now with like, how are we teaching history in schools? Well, we don't want to make kids feel bad. We want to make them feel bad about things that happened in the past. I I just think that is such a small-minded a, a oppressive and abusive way to look at it. Yeah. And especially with, with transgender kids, you know, with all the, all the bills happening, like it, it's still like you're saying it's, it's favoring the abusive system. Like when are we going to stop saying to trans kids, well, let's just figure out your healthcare and maybe you can get rights and maybe you won't and turn it back on the people that are like, mm-hmm. are saying that, Hey kid, maybe you can live your life, but maybe you can't. And I'm going to decide that for you because I'm the adult. And that like, and, and that just like the amount of fear, like with, with, with specifically with, with trans, it's just so infuriating. It is infuriating. And I, I need, when we, we talk a lot about allyship on, on, on our podcast and what is, what is allyship and allyship is, you know, you're sending, centering the activism, not the activist, mm-hmm. right? To, to center the activist would be performative, which is what we want to stay away from. But genuine allyship is when you are, you are advocating, you are supporting, you are listening, you are understanding the lived experience of another person without asking them to dial it back for your comfort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a person that we're, I may have worked in this field for a while, and then it is also my lived experience, um, only a part of it. Like I can't, you know, not, not any one of us has every other lived experience. I only know mine, but I know how to listen to someone else's. And I don't, I, it is very frustrating for me when you are a person that might have every single, you know, box of privilege checked and you don't want to hear that other person's lived experience because it makes you feel sad. Mm-hmm. That is incredibly, that's the thing that I spend a lot of time working on with the people that I do coaching with mm-hmm. is what is, what is happening that you just can't hear that. 
And I see it again and again and again, the extent that people will go to protect themselves from just hearing another person's experience. They're not asking you to fix it. They're not asking, they're asking you, can I just be heard, heard and believed that this is what happened to me. Yeah. And so if anybody out there is listening, which I know people are listening because you write us and you're awesome. Take that nugget away today. You, you, a lot of times when someone is expressing, this is what happened to me because white folks and especially white women, we go to this place where we need to fix something. And that is saviorism. Nobody's asking you to be, we're not asking anybody to save anything. We're asking you to just hear here and don't gaslight, don't toxic positivity, don't try to fix, just listen and accept whatever this person is telling you is their truth. Mm-hmm. There is healing in that for that person, period. We make it so hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, I'm going to segue us into one last part for today. If you guys can't tell, like we we're like super snarky and angry today. It's actually not what we're like most days, but I think this article came out on Friday and it just fired us both up. Yeah. Well, and again, once I'm just going to, we connected to, you know, we're not going to apologize for being angry and no, I'm not. And being vulnerable and honest about what the fuck we've gone through and that, that (laughs) being okay, being angry is okay. It gets shit done. Equal parts anger and love. Equal parts angry and love. Okay. So we have our, our podcast is called How to Be Queer. And from our podcast, we actually book quite a bit of training from it, which means like people are like, hey, you know, I feel like my organization might need to learn a little bit about some of the stuff y'all are talking about. Would you come on and do some training with us? So we actually do a lot of business from our podcast, which is awesome and amazing. We had a really interesting experience with one of our clients. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, We won't say the name of the client. Because we're still working with them. <laughs> yeah. But this is everything we're about to say to you all we actually said to such client. We're going to weave this into our training. We're going to weave it into our training. But the name of our training is how to be queer. Yeah. How to be queer in a heteronormative world. Yeah. That is the name of our training. And we had a client that said, can you change the name of that <laughs> training? I, I'm really worried about what people are going to think. We really just want them to show up. And if, if I, and that. If, if that she, it was, she was taking it from her own experience, mm-hmm. if I saw this title, I wouldn't know how this would apply to me. Right. Because this is about you. Well, and I also want to say, if you are being faced with a training that says how to be queer in a heter- heteronormative world, and it makes you uncomfortable, this training is probably meant for you uh-huh. because trust me, folks, we are not doing a training that is some type of weird psycho reverse (laughs) conversion therapy to try to turn everybody queer. Um, That's that's not what how to be queer is about. But essentially what I had said to this client, because when we got on to do the kind of like the pre-training call, and she's like, I hope you don't mind. I changed the name of your training. I was like, I'm going to be real direct with you. I actually do mind that you do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask you not to. And I'm about to explain to you why. And I watched this client be like, oh, shit. (laughs) I'm like, oh, you did. You stepped in it. And I'm going to gently, as gently as I can do anything, tell you why that was not okay with me. You're more gentle than I am. (laughs) Yeah. You were just like, fuck it. Let's fire them. (laughs) No. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to lean in and have a conversation. And I'm actually not going to center this woman's discomfort. I'm going to center why it's called how to be queer. Yeah. And so I went into an explanation of her of like, but the point of the training is that we're constantly asking people who are queer, could you just change for the comfort of people in the heteronormative world here? Because mm-hmm. they're uncomfortable with queerness. Yeah. I'm like, this will hit you where you're, where you're uncomfortable and, you know, and she didn't pick that. I don't know that she picked up what, what, what we were trying to tell her. Uh-uh. And so it's, but it's, I think folks that probably listen to our podcast understand like what we come on here and talk about at nauseum sometimes with a lot of, you know, explosive language yeah. is we, we just want to live like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. We just, we don't want to have people driving past our house, screaming, fuck gay people. I don't want to have to hear about, you know, our kids and not even just our kids, but queer kids in high school having stuff thrown at them and, you know, anti LD. GP, LGBTQ language thrown mm-hmm. at them. I don't want to hear Herschel Walker say trans kids aren't going to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Like folks, we're here and we're queer and we just want to live like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to live under the constant threat that our marriage is going to be invalidated or that I have to convince you of why it should be valid. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, our podcast is, is called How to Be Queer in a Heteronormative World because we just want to be ourselves in a world that is constantly reflecting back to us not to be. Mm-hmm. And it is an act of courage and self-resiliency every single day that we walk out our door and we are who we are. Yeah. So listen, lady, <laughs> you're not changing the name of our training No. because that would be making us do exactly what our training is trying to get you to stop. Mm-hmm. We're not going to show up for the comfort of the heteronormative culture in your organization. We're here to be fucking queer. <laughs> We 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 add I said like a, it much nicer than that. We yeah, we we did we added a, a subtitle a sub yeah a subtitle to like you know explain it a little bit more. I mean, <laughs> we kept the how to be queer, but had to, had to add a subtitle to it. Essentially, what this 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 white straight lady was saying was, I really want to do your training, but could you just do it without the queer parts? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm like. So- yeah. You better take that ally thing out of your email signature because you don't know what you're talking about right now. Oh, I think she did tell us. Well, I I have it in my email, but you know, if you could just do your training without using the word queer or talking about queerness, I'm afraid people aren't going to understand. I'm like, but what you're really telling me is you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Noted. I watched her squirm. I'm like, just you're you're going to be okay, lady. Yeah, I, I I have to say, I'm I'm typically you know. I will make space for where people are as long as I feel them leaning in to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's space for you to lean in and learn. Mm -hmm. And I will, I will, I will help you as much as I can, which is what we talk about when we say like the emotional labor of people with that lived experience, having to hold your hand through it. Mm -hmm. Allies, I need you to think about that, that language I just used. You're asking me as a person with this lived experience to hold your hand through this so that understanding my lived experience is easier for you. you. (laughs) Noted. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I guess we say that, and and this is probably someone else who also uses our favorite word lifestyle. Oh, yeah. I just want to understand the LGBTQ lifestyle. Yeah. I had a, I had a conversation with someone at school about, about um, supporting our, our, our LGBTQ kids and, 
She's like, well, I'm learning about the LGBTQ lifestyle. I was like, oh, hold up there. Hold up. Lifestyle is like, you know, I go to the beach. I live in the mountains. I, 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 I eat, eat healthy well. food. Yeah. I exercise every day. That's something <laughs> you choose. And I looked at her. I'm like, being queer is not something I choose. It's, it's something I am. It's just who I am. And she was like, right. Didn't she start scribbling down notes when you said that? Oh, yeah. And then she thanked me like a million times. Like, thank you for explaining that to me. I'm like, well, this is what I do every day. I know. I don't want to be like an asshole, but I'm going to be an asshole because as I tell people all the time, I am a petty bitch. Like, I will go there and be petty. But seriously, a lifestyle? Like, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe you play roller derby. Like, Mm -hmm. that's a lifestyle. Maybe you surf. Maybe you go to the gym all the time. I don't know. Maybe you're like a collector of something. Mm -hmm. Those are choices. Mm -hmm. You choose to do those pursuits because they're a part of what you want your life to be. Hence a fucking lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Being a queer person is not a lifestyle. It's who we are. It's our existence. Yeah. Should I, should I say, Oh, you're choosing to live a straight lifestyle. (laughs) We didn't choose this. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Here you go. Ding, 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 ding. What do we have for Johnny? (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) Okay. It, it's still, I, I'm just going to, uh, while we're staying on the petty snarky train, because it's really fun, it still burns my ass about about the person I thought was my friend who said, you're belittling me oh my God. about when I shared about um, the abuse I was enduring from my ex-husband and that my kid was trans. And I, I took it to social media and I was like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I'm making fun of you because- you're being ridiculous. You're being ridiculous and causing more harm. So, and again, we're centering her experience in yeah. this. Yeah. Right. Why are you so mean? Oh wow, I'm the mean one. Right. Got it. You're gonna you're gonna defend my abusive husband and um, completely dismiss my daughter's identity and say that she got that way by being sexually abused. Fuck you. And there it is. Fuck. Fuck, 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 fuck. What's that song? Fuck you. Fuck you very, very much. (laughs) So if you're mad, if you're mad, good. Be mad and find out where that's coming from because we're the truth tellers. Well, I'd say, and that is, and, and maybe we're, we're, but I think we're about to wrap. We're going to wrap, but cause we we've got, we've got like a little fun day planned for ourselves. Hey. Yeah, we do. We're, I'm not even going to tell people what we're doing and listen, get your minds out of the gutter right now. <laughs> Liz, Alex, I see you coming up to that microphone. <laughs> do not. My parents listen to this. I, I, I'm going to be good. You could say nothing. But as a, my general rule of thumb is if you are listening to this podcast or you're attending some type of training, whether it's to be training to be more you know, aware of our LGBTQ community, um, ableist, if you are trying to learn how to be anti-racist, um, when you feel uncomfortable, when something hits you as like, oh my God, I feel defensive, yeah. I feel uncomfortable, that should be your roadmap as to where you go from there mm-hmm. is examining why. And so I remember telling people years ago when I started down this path of really learning about anti-racism work, um, equity, how to bring it to workplaces. I mean, this is a long time I've been working on this. And I remember one of the people that I worked with, they told me when, when people start like pressing in on something and you feel yourself going to that defensive place, pay attention to your body. Mm-hmm. 
And for me, where I would feel it in my body is like literally my shoulders would be like raising up to the point they were like in my ears. And I started taking cues from my own body of just trying to understand like, why am I so uncomfortable? Why do I feel so defensive? Why do I feel the need to defend myself? And that was my roadmap. Yeah. Right. Is, is just starting to examine why did I feel that way? And it, it, look, it's, it's not, I'm not, I'm kind of like making fun of us all today of like the ways that you learn to become an ally, because it is a long look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And that is where it starts is you have to dismantle what's inside of you until you can take that look outwardly to what you want to do. And so I've, you know, we've talked about it on this, this podcast a lot, which is heart, head, heart, hands, healing. Mm-hmm that headpiece is long and it is hard because you have to just learn things. You have to learn and listen to another person's lived experience. You have to be able to take that in, not at a place of disbelieving, like you got to get through your own fragility and your own defensiveness to get to the heart, to be like, oh my God, I am starting to understand what this lived experience might be for another person. Mm -hmm. Then you go to your hands to dismantle it. If you were to skip over the head and the heart and go right to your hands, that's when we're talking about saviorism. Mm -hmm. You haven't bothered to learn your own participation in it. You haven't bothered to learn how it really impacts another person. You just want to come in and fix something because you think it says something about you. You got it all backwards. So as, as painful, and I've been through it and I still go through it every day because I was socialized as a white woman. Mm Right. I am a white woman. Yeah. I was, well, I'm not a white woman. I'm a white human, but I I was socialized. Yeah. Same. It is a long journey of every day understanding how the societal impacts that we live in play out in our own lives where we are openly oppressive of other people and we may not even realize it. Yeah. And there's no end in in sight to learning that it's every day dismantling that. Yeah. So, you know, this, you, you got a lot of anger from us today, folks. Um, I, I'm not going to apologize for it either. Yeah. I, I, I had this, this phrase one time where I said, if, if you dish it, you got to be able to take it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like rolling that round in my, in, in my head that, you know, if you're going to roll through the world, the way you are dishing it out to what you think about things and people and, so you need to be able to take the feedback from others when you're like, oh, when 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 you hurt someone, when you um, cross a boundary, so, so to speak. And um, yeah, that's all. But let's end for today. Let's end for today. Let's end for today. And I think when we come back, um, we'll be back in two weeks. We're on a really good cadence of like every other week or whenever the fuck we feel like it. <laughs> Another check mark for an F F bomb. Oh boy, I I think all of our listeners know why we kind of joke around about that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, have a good two weeks, folks. Keep writing us. I absolutely love reading your emails. Yeah, y'all are the best. We love you. I love when people tell me that they listen. It like makes me just beam. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love you, Alex. I love you too, Kimmy. We're going to go be equal parts anger and love today. Let's do it. Okay. We love you listeners. Thanks. Thanks for being with us. Um, Email us at howtobequeerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website. It's it's up and running, howtobequeer.com. I don't even think I've looked at it yet. (laughs) I should do that. I mean, I'm still like 
it's it's tinkering. In, it's in it's in zygote. It's in yeah, I'm tinkering. But you can you can contact us through that as well. So you can email. I've got Alex at howtobequeer.com. Um, but check out the website. Um, yeah. And find us on, on the socials. Hey, can I do one more thing? Yeah. Um, we have somebody in our life that they are celebrating a birthday today. <gasps> hey, Brie. Hey, Brie. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Love you. We will see you soon, Balls of Magic. <laughs>